You're listening to the Quality of Love Podcast, your home for all things love, relationship, and mental health. Hosted by nationally certified life and relationship coach, Tyrone Dixon. Sit back, relax, and get tips on creating the life you deserve without wasting any more time. Welcome to the Quality of Love podcast. I'm your host, Tyrone Dixon, nationally certified life and relationship coach, husband, father to two beautiful princesses, and CEO and founder of a road through concrete consulting. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time off to listen in with us tonight. We really appreciate it. I know it's been a long, long time coming, everyone, but I want to say thank you to everyone that's reached out to check on me to see how I was doing, to to just kind of gauge where I am with the show. I really do appreciate that. Um, I had to take a mental health break, to be frank, everybody. I had a lot going on in my life over the past couple months, um, in addition to my anniversary, uh, as well as my wife's birthday. Just a lot of family dynamics that have shifted. Um, that caused me to want to step away from the podcast for a little bit, because I didn't think that I was, I was presenting quality work th- through my recordings, right? So... For those of you that don't know, my show is typically pre-recorded, and I just didn't feel like the energy was there when I was doing a few of the pre-recordings over the past month or so. So um, I thought it was best for not only myself, but for the show that I took some time away, took a mental health break. I feel good. I feel like I'm back and ready to go and get everything back in motion. Um, But again, I wanted to say thank you before we even got into the show tonight, because there were people that to me to gauge kind of and there were people that reached out and asked about hey you're going to answer my question what's going on so i do appreciate everything i did i did frankly time away from the podcast to take the time away from some of the creative things that i had going on because i had gotten myself into a space where i didn't feel like i was producing quality work right and if you know me on a personal level you know that i'm almost a perfectionist when it comes to the work that I do. So I really want to produce quality work. Um, I want to be able to to reach out and, and connect with the audience in a meaningful way. So I do apologize, but I'm back in motion, back committed, back feeling like the flow is there. Anybody who knows about being in these spaces or kind of being in public spaces when your flow is there or when you're hot and you feel like you're, you can make anything kind of in a sports reference, then you're good to go. And I'm feeling like I'm back in that spot where I can, I'm shooting good. I'm, I'm sounding good. My cadence is coming off. Well, no, it's a lot of information, but I do want to say, um, I, I had to take a mental break, right? That was just something that I had to do in order to be able to produce quality work again. Forget about that. We're back on to this, the quality of love podcast back at you with some questions and answers for you this evening. Before we do, you know how we do with the podcast. We got to give our quote of the week. And this quote actually comes from uh, um, someone who's been extremely instrumental in my life. He's no longer with us. His name is Pastor Samuel Wagner. And uh, he always used to tell me when I was a kid, when I was about 14, 15 years old, the greatest gift in the world, Tyrone, is love, right? So if you can give love and you can receive love in the proper channels, that's the best gift you can ever have. And that always stuck with me because I've I found myself on this inconsistent, excuse me, love journey where I'm trying to figure out what it means, context to put it in. Um, But I I love how simple he put it. It's the greatest gift in the world, right? So if you can 
give it as well as receive it in a genuine way, then you understand the meaning of love and why it's such a gift, right? And it's taken me a very long time, frankly, to realize that. But I um, I firmly believe that love is the greatest gift in the world. And I'm continually to continually working, excuse me, on enhancing my love and creating a loving atmosphere around myself and the people that I love, right? So they can understand it as a gift, as I've come to understand it as a gift as well. All right, so let's get into this narcissistic stuff, right? I have way more narcissistic questions in my inbox than I want to at the moment. So I figure out that, you know, that he starts to chop the tree down a little bit till we get to the bottom of, of all this narcissist work that's going on out here, man. There's a there's a lot of people dealing with narcissistic behavior within the relationship. Glad they feel like coming to us, coming to me to at least give them some sort of direction or some sort of answers. Let's get into it. All right. Question number one. What are some things narcissists can't get over? Once again, that question is, what are some things that narcissists cannot get over? Anytime you hold them accountable, the biggest thing, the biggest thing that a narcissist will never be able to accept is you holding them accountable, right? Because if you remember, um, and we've talked about it uh, plenty of times on this show, and narcissism is a, is a popular buzzword now, so I'm sure you can find some artic- well-written articles on it via Google, but the, the main kind of idea behind a narcissist is this person is extremely self-absorbed. So that means anything that they say or do, it's like walking on gold to them. So when you do find that they did something wrong or offensive and you hold them accountable, that's the number one thing they can't take, right? Accountability, when it comes to a narcissist, is like water and oil. It just does not mix and they hate it, right? So the number one thing that you can do in any situation in which um, a narcissist or you want to stick it to a narcissist more or less is hold them accountable. Other things that that tend to not, um, they don't like or don't enjoy also is, is someone who's not in agreement with them at all times, right? It's in the, with a narcissist, it's their way or, or the highway. So that means that if you're not someone who is in their corner or in their circle, constantly saying, yes, you're right about that, or yes, you're right about this, chances are you're probably not someone that the narcissistic individual is going to like. Last thing that I can tell you, I can guarantee get on the narcissistic individual's nerves is another narcissist. So if you ever find yourself in a situation where someone, your partner obviously is self-absorbed and you know that, you ha- and you have another individual within the room, within the environment that's also self-absorbed, get those two individuals together. And I'm telling you, you will have the time of your life enjoying watching those narcissists go at it. And uh, no one wins in a narcissistic battle. So you get to sit back, eat your popcorn, and watch these two individuals that are extremely stubborn, extremely bullheaded, uh, all will only see my way or the highway, seeing them go at it. it. It's quite entertaining, if you ask me. Question number two, why is it so hard to smile at the narcissistic abuse? That question again is, why is it so hard to smile at the narcissistic abuse? Um, first of all, uh, I'm sorry to hear that you're struggling with smiling. That's a big, that's a big deal, right? Because smiling is the gateway to happiness. Um, but I, I would say from my perspective, from the individuals that I've coached and that I've worked with, it's so difficult to smile after you've encountered a relationship with a narcissistic individual because they've spent so much time and you've spent so much time in their presence being put down, right? Or told that you shouldn't smile or you can't smile. 
there's nothing to smile about, right? You don't have anything to look forward to. When you spend a lot of time in relationships um, with narcissistic individuals being told what you can't do, what you're not good at, what you shouldn't smile about, sometimes it, it, it plays a, um, a psychological, it has a psychological impact on your brain and the way your brain works. So what happens is we internalize that, right? And, and I don't care how strong-willed you think you are. If you keep hearing something over and over and over and over again, you start to believe it, right? So if you heard all your life or all the time while you were with a narcissistic individual that you shouldn't smile or your smile is ugly or anything like that, right? You go on to even internalize it, excuse me. And even after you've left a narcissistic individual, you feel like you shouldn't smile or you have no reason to smile. What I always tell clients in these situations is to kind of take it back to ground zero um, and figure out what you actually like, right? What you like to do, things that you enjoy. And it, even if it goes, goes as, as, I don't want to say low, low would be the wrong word. Even if it's been been watching a TV show or multiple TV shows, get back to the things that you like to do and incorporate a little exercise in there, right? The exercise can be something as small as walking, but it, it allows you to now gain, gain clarity on the life that you want to live as opposed to the life that you were forced to live when you were with this narcissistic individual. Question number three, do narcissists keep you guessing about what's going to happen when they say they want a divorce? Do they like give you a very small chance of hope? Once again, that question is, do narcissists keep you guessing about what's going to happen when they say they want a divorce? Do they like to give you a very small chance of hope? I would say absolutely, right? The when you're involved with a narcissistic individual, any any type of extreme relationship move like a divorce or separation, for example, all of those things are more or less a power play for that narcissistic individual, right? So that's their opportunity to try to get you to love on them more or try to get you really to fall deeper into their narcissistic behavior or narcissistic trap, right? So a typical scenario played out like that, for example, would be narcissistic individual says they want a divorce or they're going to file for a divorce. You start to have an emotional reaction. And in the back of your mind, you feel like um, the last thing you want is a divorce. So you will do anything in order to keep this individual in your corner, in your circle, whatever it may be. Right. So what you don't know at that point in time is that subconsciously, your brain's playing mind games with you, right? And I know that sounds backwards, but it really is, right? Because what should what you should be thinking in this, in this instance is, yes, this is my opportunity to get away from this narcissistic person, get away from this individual that's caused me so much turmoil, emotional abuse, physical abuse in some cases, right? But we get so used to being in these type of relationships that the more overpowering thought in this relationship is, if I get divorced, where would I go? Right. What would I do? Right. I have kids. How can I live independently as a single parent? So on and so forth. And those are the overwhelming thoughts that typically cause us to stay in that narcissistic relationship or in this case, a narcissistic marriage. I say all of that to you to say that I think when you when you're saying small chance of hope, you're looking at this situation the wrong way. Right. This narcissistic individual is playing mind games with you, hoping that you fall deeper and you have hope that the relationship will be lasting, I would invite you to shift that thought process to how much more fruitful your life would be without this narcissistic individual in your ear telling you how you're not worthy, 
you um, don't deserve unconditional acceptance. You don't deserve to live a life on your own. You do. You don't deserve a certain level of autonomy in the relationship. And question number four, what range of emotions did you experience from the breakup with the narcissist? Once again, that question is, what range of emotions did you experience from a breakup with a narcissist? Um, thinking back, this actually, this question is, is funny because it made me think back a while. Um, and I think they, with every relationship, you're going to experience sadness, right? With a narcissistic relationship, it, it becomes like a, a little bit deeper of sadness, right? Because there's the regret that the relationship didn't last. But then there's also the sadness and regret that you actually sat within a relationship for a long time and you accepted some of the things that you did, right? Whether that was verbal abuse, physical abuse, um, certainly some some sort of form of psychological abuse was there um, because you knew you were in a relationship with a narcissistic individual, right? So typically the, the sadness leads to then um, a deeper level of regret where you can't believe that you were in a relationship with this narcissistic individual. These two points of the, the emotional range or emotional scale are important because it feels lonely, right? This is where we're extremely lonely um, and when we feel vulnerable, right? So in a lot of cases, when you go from the the feeling of sadness because of the breakup and then regret in that space in itself, what we do is we tend to say, oh, well, you know what? The relationship wasn't as bad. Let me go back to this individual if the opportunity presents itself. Once you're able to break away from the regret, you start to get to a space where you you are attempting to understand because it's very, very difficult to understand something like this. So you start to get to a space where you attempt to understand, right, where it's like, OK, well, well, why did this happen? Where were some things or, or some red flags within the relationship that that made me believe that this was probably not a good thing? But I kept going on. Right. Once you get down to that piece. That, to me, is the most critical space that you can get in because you're doing self-reflection. You're in a space where you're holding yourself accountable as well as holding the behaviors of that narcissistic individual accountable. So it becomes a more, a more or less truth point, right? And if you're able to be all the way truthful with yourself at that point of starting to understand, then you get to the point of understanding, right? And once you get to the point of understanding, that's where you start to come out of the sad state and out of the state of of confusion and you understand like, okay, there was a lesson that I needed to learn from that relationship that I need to apply to all of my relationships moving forward so that that doesn't happen again, right? So if you find yourself in those first two spaces of sadness and regret, hold on, um, try to at that point in time de decide and define a life that you want to live moving forward because once you come to somewhat understanding and then eventually understanding what happened and how that relationship unfolded, then you're you're able to properly put the steps in place to ensure that that never happens again. All right, let's hit on some of this relationship stuff, man. Let's save some people from their relationships. Um, quick funny side note before uh, we, we answer these questions. This is the first time I've opened up my email, uh, my TQLP email, and seen more relationship questions and narcissist questions. So um, thank you. I appreciate it. And I do apologize for getting you getting back to you so late on this. But with that being said, question number one, why does a married man want a mistress? Once again, that question is, why does a married man want a mistress? It's 
easy to say a man wants his cake and eat it too, right? That's that's such a universal language. For me, when I've when I've ever worked with married couples, married men in particular, or even men just that that are in relationships, the notion of have your cake and eat it too is just it's the umbrella term. And whenever we get down to the deeper work, it's usually deep rooted in some form of insecurity, one, or some form of um, not getting something from their wife, right? So it's something that they're not getting from their wife. And a lot of men, I know this sucks to hear women, but a lot of men have trouble with articulating themselves, right? With, With saying, hey, this is what I want, either in the bedroom or out of our relationship. And because they struggle with articulating themselves in a manner that is proper and it helps you understand what your partner needs, they'd rather sneak behind your back and do something behind your back. In a lot of cases, again, women take it as personal and they're like, oh, my God, what what haven't I done or what? It's really not. It has nothing to do with the woman or the wife in this instance. It's all about the man and the work he hasn't done with himself. Right. So. I would invite you to explore therapy. That's the best way to kind of get it all in the open. But if that's not something you're comfortable with, I would ask the question, right? Why, like, what what about a mistress, excuse me, uh, makes you want to engage in that type of behavior, right? So what are they doing or what are you getting outside of our home that you don't feel like you can get inside of our home? And then leave the space for him to have that conversation. I'll, I'll put a caveat there as well. And I know. Um, this may be sharing a little too much information, but I got to keep it real. Y'all know how we do on the podcast. Um, a lot of men have kinks and fetishes that they they are embarrassed to share with their partner, right? So what they'll do is they won't share it with the wife, but they'll share it with the mistress, right? And the mistress won't have an issue with doing that. And one of the things that I've found that that's become a pattern, especially in the newer kind of men that I've engaged with, is that they like to um, um, engage in sexual activities um, that may be considered questionable or um, may not be considered masculine, right? And and because of that, they don't feel comfortable asking their partners. So um, when we talk about a man wanting a mistress, it's something within him, right? It's something going on within that individual. And the only way to find out what it is, is if it's having the conversation, right? Whether that's therapy, or having straight dialogue with their husband and saying, what are you seeking in a mistress that you can't find within your home? Question number two, why did my ex-wife repeatedly call my phone at midnight hours when she moved on, but even before we were divorced? Once again, that question is, why did my ex-wife repeatedly call my phone at midnight hours when she moved on even before divorce? Boy, that sounds like a mess. Um, <laughs> get that out. That sounds Sounds pretty messy, man. It sounds like your your ex-wife um, may have jumped the gun, right? She also, she may have moved on without really, really clearing the baggage that needed to be cleared. Um, for me in this instance, I'm very big on exes is an ex for a reason. So I, I, I rarely will ever encourage anybody to go back to an ex, whether that's a wife or a partner, whatever it is, right? Um, because I, I do believe that an ex is an ex for a reason. Um, if you don't take the power in this situation, meaning having a clear cut conversation with her that, that the relationship is over, I think she'll can continue to do this type of stuff. And when she continues to behave in this manner, the only thing that it's going to do to you is cause you more confusion. Right. So I would invite you to not even ask, like, why is she calling me? 
but to pick up the phone and say, hey, this is where we stand in our relationship. Whatever we had before, it's done. It's over. It'll never happen again, or it'll never be created in that manner again. So I would invite you to move on just like you did. If you don't do that, then chances are she'll continue to do that, or she'll continue to have these emotional episodes where she feel like it's okay to call you, ultimately feeling like she has the power to get you back if she wants to. Question number three, why does my boyfriend post one particular girl all the time, but not me? Once again, that question is, why does my boyfriend post one particular girl all the time, but not me? That's a great question. And I think you have to ask him that question. Um, and I'll, I'll, again, you know, I try to be fair. I really do, because I think um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to to study, to um, work really hard at this relationship coaching thing. And one of the biggest things that I, I got out of my um, professional vernacular very early on was the assume, assuming, right? Just assuming that I know what's going on and assuming that I know what's going on in a given situation. In this situation, I'll say that um, you need to have the conversation with him because he may not be posting you because he may fear that you don't want to be posted, right? Or uh, there's this there's this huge um, kind of side chick, side man kind of wave going on right now, I guess is the best way I put it, where people um, are not necessarily comfortable posting their partners, or it, it might not be as um, accepted to post your partner nowadays, especially if you're early in a relationship. So that's why I would invite you to have a conversation with him. And just get to the bottom of it. Ask him, hey, how come you don't post me if you want to be posted, right? Uh, sounds like you do. So I would ask him, how come you don't post me? You're my boyfriend. I'm your girlfriend. I, I don't want to have a secret relationship, right? I want everyone to know that we love each other and that we're in a relationship with one another. He could just be posting the, the other female or the particular girl because he says yes, or she's comfortable with him posting her and they have a good friendship or a good relationship. This is a little bit deeper, but I would invite you to have this conversation, too, about jealousy and where you stand in terms of jealousy, right? If you are a person that gets jealous of something like that, he might want to know it or not not even he might want to know it. He definitely will want to know something like that. So he's not offending you without knowing it up front. And lastly, question number four, I caught my boyfriend of six months out lying to me and I responded by ghosting him. Was I wrong to do that? Once again, that, that question is, I caught my boyfriend of six months out lying to me. I responded by ghosting him. Was I wrong to do this? I think so. Um, I know you a lot of ghosting, again, just like the last question where it's like the secret relationship. Ghosting has become like the thing to do nowadays. Uh, it's just like a lot of people do it. I hear it a lot when I'm doing my relationship coaching or even my friends. Like I have a lot of friends that will straight ghost you. Um, out of nowhere. And I just think that when you go someone, it leaves space for, for their not to have dialogue, right? So now you don't know if like what he was lying about is something that he feels like, oh my God, if I would have told you it would have been the end of our relationship, right? Not not knowing that it was the end of the relationship anyway, right? And then the other piece about ghosting to me is that you you leave space for like your own mind to wonder. And I, I'm just one that can't stand that. If you are, kudos to you. If you're an overthinker and you can do that, then God bless you. I just can't do it. I, I, I'm the type of person that constantly seeks answers and wants to know, like, okay, why did you lie? Like, what was the point of lying? Help me understand 
why you lied to me in this instance. It wasn't that serious. We weren't together for that long. Six months, frankly, is not a long time. So why did you lie to me in such a short period of time? And I would even take it a step further and say, because you lied to me in that short period of time, it made me feel like I couldn't trust you over longer periods of time. Right. That's direct. That's assertive. And that's being real. Right. The reality is that he lied to you within a six months time frame that made you uncomfortable and you ghosted him. Right. There there could be more closure to that if you would allow it to be. Um, but then again, that's my personal thing. I'm an overthinker. So I need to be able to like <laughs> make sure that the, the casket is closed on every situation um, in order to move forward properly and, and in a healthy manner. All right. That's it. That's all. We're back in motion. Don't forget to hit us up at tqlp20 at gmail.com with any questions that you have regarding your relationship or narcissistic behavior that you think may be involved in your relationship. In addition to that, man, listen, we're back on those, those five ingredients to a lasting relationship. I haven't shared these in a long time. Five ingredients to a lasting relationship. Number one is trust, right? Being able to trust your partner is the foundation of any relationship. Number two is communication, right? So communication as in dialogue, having communication back and forth with you and your partner actively listening to the needs of one another. Number three is knowing your partner's love and apology languages, not only knowing how to love on them, but knowing how to say sorry in the manner in which they feel like you really are sorry. Number four is unconditional acceptance, right? So accepting your partner for exactly who they are in the moment. Right. But then also understanding that they are working to be the best possible person that they can be over a long period of time. And lastly, number five. Right. And that's all we have for you all this evening. Right. Thank you for listening. We're back in motion. Always remember the quality of love and relationships that you have in your life will determine the quality of your life. Peace and love.